The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUTE-KUTX Studios and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... the song confessional people tell us stories anonymously right and we give these stories we call them confessions we give them to bands and songwriters who write and record an original song based on that anonymous story on this podcast you're going to hear the confession you're going to hear the song and inspired and you're going to hear an interview with the songwriters i'm sitting here with my favorite little alarm what's your name hey yo i'm zach hey zach how are you doing I'm doing all right this week. How you doing? I'm doing all right, but let's just tell everyone how you're really doing. What were you just doing in the bathroom? I was pulling a nose hair out. Which, it might have been a mustache hair that was stabbing my nose. I'm honestly not sure. For a couple dudes like us, it's hard to know sometimes if it's a mustache or it's a nose hair. It's hard to know. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've been having, I've been struggling with this as well recently. Apparently, when you hit your mid-30s, your nose hairs get a little long, if you're wondering. That's when it happens. See, I was going to blame the global pandemic. <laughs> just accelerated hair yeah, growth. Yeah, just accelerated hair growth. Are you balding? Have a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Positive effects. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, here we are today doing what we do. What's the name of the band that we will be hearing from? We've got C. Moya. Two words. C. Moya. S-E-A. M-O-Y-A, Simoya. And Simoya is from Germany. From Germany. And they're one of the only bands I know of who describes their music uh, accurately, and it makes me want to listen to them. They call themselves German Krautbeat. Could you break down that description for us? Well, as we said, they are German. True. First word. Kraut, another word for German, <laughs> but also describes a very specific type of music that's like industrial euro dance beatish yeah i don't I even i i can, can hear kraut in my head but describing it i'm realizing the moment's kind of hard kraut rock is uh uh repetitive repetitive yeah relatively up tempo mm-hmm. usually up tempo um nonsensical lyrics is sort of a feature of mm-hmm. kraut rock uh not too many like melodic choruses it's like Oh yeah, no chorus. Like but if it is, it maybe maybe a chorus, but it's like a monotone chant almost. Yeah. So so famous kraut rock bands uh, can, or if you're pretentious, con con. Craftwork. <laughs> um, Craftwork probably the most famous. I think so. New. Mm-hmm. 
all amazing bands with records you should check out. But I'm going to go ahead and say, don't do that now. Yeah, check out Simoya instead. Check out this amazing song they wrote for us, which is called Hash. Hash. Wait, one more time. Let's try to say it at the same time. Hash, hash. Yeah. Walker, how'd this band come into our lives? It's a fun story involving um, Jack and Kurt from the Riley Social Hour. Basically, Kurt gave Jack a C. Moya record because he thought he would like their music. And Jack liked their music and looked them up online just like, man, I want to know about this band. Found out that they were coming to the next South by Southwest. Hit them up. Was like, hey, we should do some shows together. Um, And they did. And they took Simoya on tour around North America. Uh, I love that story because it illustrates what I think is great about Jack. And then having met these Simoya guys, which you'll hear more about them in the interview, you can totally see that spirit of like, oh, I'm going to make a new friend and follow them for the summer. Totally. Yeah, it's very it's very much that like, I mean, our experience of the Austin music scene just mm-hmm. on an international scale of Definitely. just like, oh, this is a cool track. I wonder who's doing it. Oh, it's this person. They seem kind of cool. Let's see if we could play some shows together. Yeah. It's like so nonchalant yes. and old school in the mm-hmm. way it developed. I remember Jack sending me uh, the first single off of their album. It was before the album was even released. And I didn't realize where they had come from or the connection at all. And I just heard the song. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I, I think about Simoya very regularly uh, because when I DJ, I more or less always play the song Blown. Yeah, it's a great, it's a it's great, a great song. song for a DJ set in particular. And, and especially when it's something super groovy that people don't recognize, makes mm-hmm. you feel like a good DJ. Definitely. <laughs> it has uh, an elusive quality to it, that song that, when you're, or at least the way I DJ, I'm always looking for, which is that I can reset the tempo. Hmm. Cause when you DJ, you know, you got to kind of keep it at the same tempo. It can be mm-hmm. very jarring and it can really ruin a dance party. If you by mistake, slow the music down or slow the speed of the songs down. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, it just feels terrible. You have to keep the tempo steady. But whenever you play the song blown, it's, it's a slow, funky song. And for some reason, you can play it after anything and it still works. Good way to slow the tempo down yeah. to kind of change the mood for the rest of the set. Exactly. Well, there you go. I have a feeling that Hash Hash might become that kind of song because it's so funky and so funky. Syrupy. You, you would never hear this song and think that three white boys from Germany are playing those instruments because they got serious rhythm. Zach, what can you tell us about the confession that inspired Hash Hash? Today's confession is an international tale that seems straight out of a Hollywood movie. Have you ever done drugs in a foreign country? Have you ever done drugs in a foreign country that are punishable by death? Have you ever done drugs in a foreign country that are punishable by death and the only reason you're there is because a really rich guy paid you to come record music? in New York City and I was in a, a group we used to play at this club called New Blue on Avenue C between 4th and 5th and a lot of really great music happened there and sometimes it would start pretty pretty late at night uh, there was a band of friends of mine had a band they started called the Brazilian Girls and they ended up doing real well but they started on Sunday night at like sometimes 1 in the morning and it was just packed, you know, beautiful people. And 
I became friends with these guys, and we all just kind of ran around like a pack. And um, you know, I'm, I had that Texas songwriter thing, and these guys were making New York dance music and stuff. But these, you know, musicians like all kinds of music, so these guys liked my songs and wanted to hang out and kind of have a little bit of that in their life. And we would start playing at parties and pull out the guitars and sing for people, which was, at the time, it seemed like for these kind of people, it was more of a nightlife scene to see these guys break out guitars and start singing harmonies together was uh, unique in the, in the streets of the city. And um, one day, um, somebody stopped us on the street and liked us and made friends and asked us to come up to his dinner party and play. And we accepted. And um, he was he was a wealthy Lebanese guy that I didn't we didn't know much about him, but he had fancy friends and he had these fancy dinner parties with the he cooked himself and had the most amazing food and amazing conversation and free flowing booze. And then he asked us to play, and it became a thing where over the next few years. We were on the phone list where it's like, dinner tonight at 7, bring your guitar. And at one point, he got the idea that he could help me make a record. And I said, great, I'll need X amount of dollars and I want promotion money and it's going to look like this. And he thought about it and he came back and he said, I'd like to make a record with you in Beirut. And I didn't know anybody in Beirut and I, my band was in New York and all the players and all the studios. But I kind of wanted to go to Beirut. And, he, and it was the kind of thing where it was like, okay, we're leaving on Friday. You know, it was like I had like a few days to or get my stuff in order and go to Beirut. And there was his Beirut friends and international people and dinner parties and then I'd play. And I felt, you know, like, is this really going to happen? Um, and it ended up, the, the, the story I want to tell, I'm taking a long way to get there. But I'm Take just, your time. I'm just finding myself in, in, in Beirut, and he um, he knows, you know, I'm a musician, and maybe I like to, um, you know, drink, but have a little relaxing party, too. So he said, you know, the hash here is good, but it's extremely illegal. So I'm going to give you this ball of hash, and here's a little something you can smoke it out of, but do not under any circumstances take it out of this house. If something happens to you, I can't help you. I said, okay. Then... He'd smoked his hash, beautiful body high, but it was nothing. It wasn't. It didn't even barely. It didn't get you going like the Willie's Reserve or something. It didn't like make you forget your life or your name, like the stuff you can smoke nowadays. You know, it was just kind of mellow. Didn't seem to do much. I liked it. You know, I smoked a couple balls of this stuff over the course of a couple weeks, and it was time to go home. And we were having a late night party, and it was the wildest party of the week. Like people getting drunk and making out in different rooms and smoking hash, and just kind of a wild party. I had to get up and leave it like the you know right at the crack, like 5:36 in the morning. And they had a driver for me, and I just kind of slept in my clothes and got out of there feeling super hungover. And. Uh, I got to the airport line, my hair is a mess, I got sunglasses on, I've got like turquoise jewelry and my, my Texas, you know, you know the Texas style button down shirt is hanging, hanging wide and oh, oh, unbuttoned and I'm just, I look like a scraggly, 
American musician. They just like swipe your hand and they swipe your pants and, they, and then they put it in a machine and they're looking for any kind of bombs or explosive, but also for illegal drugs. There, the big, the big thing is a poppy or hash. So they put it in this machine. It looks like it's out of the 60s. Like it's a giant machine and the big lights go off and thing, and they go hash, hash. And I'm just kind of observing what's going on and then they run to me and they grab my passport and they grab all my things and I realize that they, I have set this damn machine off for hash and I start thinking, well, I definitely was smoking it and it was on my hands and maybe it was, did I put, what did I, what did I end up doing with that? Did I finish it? I, I left it there, didn't I? Yeah, I, did, I definitely didn't put it on me. I'm sweating thinking like, I'm just thinking about the, I can't help you if something happens to you and there's the militaries there and we don't have diplomatic relations with with Lebanon and I would have been I, I would have been I maybe would have still been there and um, they tore up my suitcase and they tore up my guitar and they 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 threw threw my stuff all over the floor and checked all my pockets and made me take off my shoes and socks and checked everything they could check and it took a long time where to the point where I was like I'm about 12 minutes to go to some gate. I, I don't know how far it is. I'm, I'm gonna miss, I have to pack now, repack my stuff and get out of here. But I haven't gotten my passport back yet. And nobody's really speaking any English to help me out. And there was some super hippies like behind me, like, like, like uh, Middle Eastern hippies with like bell-bottom jeans and tall boots. They looked like they could have been in a Middle Eastern funk band or something. And they just smelled like patchouli and shit. They swiped those guys. They had duffel bags that looked like Cheech and Chong. Like they were just stuffed, military duffel bags that were stuffed with something that it would take forever to even get through and restuff. They were packed. They swiped, hit those guys. Bam, bam, bam. Hash! And all these bulldogs that were searching through my stuff look up and they sprint over to this other couple dudes and, I, and I'm thinking that's got to be a good sign right I mean this must be it so I go to the the one guy who was being the, the leader he was a short little like bulldog duck dude who was so rude to me I looked in his eyes and I knew he just wanted to take me down he, he wanted me and um, and I said can I get my passport back and, and he didn't want to he wanted to detain me and I there's one kind one man had a kind face the guy who my my uh, guitar went through the uh, scanner and my boots and things you know they went through this so the guy was looking at me he kept shrugging his shoulders and had like like he was on my side like hey sorry I don't know what's going on here so I, he spoke a little English and I said I really need my passport back if they haven't found anything I think it, can I just pack and go? I'm going to miss my flight, and it's an international flight. And he said, he walked over, said, talk to the guy, and the guy nodded, said, okay. So he gave him my passport. The guy brought me my passport back. I pack up all my shit, and I run through the airport, and I get on the plane, and I just can't. I'm sweating the entire way home. I can't even believe it. And I was so scared and I and I did not want to be in this country anymore. I felt my freedom threatened and it was just the, I can't even ex ex describe it. I couldn't even sleep on the plane. I just was totally freaked out realizing how close it was. And I get home and I unpack my stuff 
and I just take a deep breath and I, un, I pull my, my laptop out of my guitar gig bag. I kept my laptop on the front part of that and I pulled it out and I looked at the bottom of it and there was a little, like, it looked like a black turd or a piece of gum or something that was stuck on the battery. And I scraped it off with my finger and I smelled it and it was the hash. That ball that I had lost was, I put my computer down on the ball and I had a hot battery and it melted the hash onto the battery. So I put it in my little pipe and I got stoned and kicked my feet up and had a good little laugh. And now, Hash Hash by C. Moya.
All right, well, we just heard Hash Hash by C. Moya. And uh, I, I actually worked on that song with them because you were on tour. Right. And, uh, and one thing, the, the thing I remember the most about that session was that um, I didn't, uh, I was producing it and I didn't really do a lot. Right. Like these guys uh, had made a lot of music together. It worked really fast. And basically, you know, what I found myself doing was making sure we did things on time and in a good mm -hmm. order. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it was a, just a very different experience than what I had been used to. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different type of producing, so. Yeah. I, I guess for you, like, what's the, what's the first producing experience you think of that was super, super atypical from what you normally do? Or better yet, what, what's, a, what's like a typical producing experience for you in the studio? Uh, typical, well, okay, so um, the one, the ones that are really cool are if the band is ready to record. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example of that. Like uh, the Heartless Bastards record I did. Um, we did a bunch of pre-production and did like arrangement ideas and things like that. Then they so, so you, you, you guys decided kind of what all the parts were before a lot of I, no parts. no i mean sort of even just roughly mm -hmm. you know like it was more like let's make this a little longer let's cut this that kind of thing mm -hmm. um nothing like and then we talked about like oh that guitar part you're playing mark let's break it up into a couple different takes with different sounds that kind of thing mm -hmm. um then they went on tour for a month opening for the drive-by truckers oh, cool. and played every song and so they come back and I said, okay, you're coming back from tour on this day. I'll give you one day off and then let's go in for, for six days cool. and track everything. And I mean, I was the slowest link there because they were so tight. Once I dialed in sounds and we were all happy with the, with the way the track was sounding, mm -hmm. then they would get it in one take yeah, or two takes. Uh, and cool. a lot of that record was live, you know, and, but it just sounds so, so it's exciting. It's really like the, the kind of classic producing experience, yeah, recording experience right. where the band knows the song. Exactly right. And you're making sure you capture it well. Yep. Right. And maybe altering a few things here and there, but right. really it's about capturing the performances. Right. I think about the Simoya track, one thing that was fascinating to me is they had absolutely nothing going in. Oh, really? And they, okay. they jammed in your live room, uh -huh. um, bass, drums, and I think they maybe had one keyboard down there. Mm-hmm. And they came up with the bass and drums groove. Right. And what you hear in the recording, except for the bridge, is just a loop. Oh, wow. It's a long loop. Right. But these guys, it, you know, it really was the opposite. They took this little live thing and then layered on top of it and right. wrote all these words after. Right. Something about the track that's really cool, too, is all the little uh, cool percussion yeah. stuff. You know, like, was there a little cowbell? Yeah, there's a thing, cowbell, which the is really shaker. Great. Yeah. And um also how the how the track stops for the little horn. Mm -hmm. You know, just the the hard edits. I really really love that kind of stuff. My, my another memory I have from this session that I uh will always I always remember this when I think about this band is they wanted to put in an alarm sound, okay, right? right? To yeah. kind of mimic the airport where they heard the alarm. Right. 
and they turned on definitely, I would say the most intimidating synthesizer you have, which is a Moog source. Oh, right. It's, it's, it's an, it's from the eighties. Right. So the way it's kind of set up is, is really daunting. It's all digital. It's all digital or it looks digital anyway. Um, they just turned it on. Right. And that was the noise. Oh, wow. No changing. (laughs) It literally just was that alarm noise. And I, I heard one of them upstairs goes, we found the alarm, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. which is amazing. Well, you'll hear more about this in our interview with Simoya. Interview. 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 So my name is David. I mainly play guitar and I sing and do a bunch of synthesizers and sampling stuff. My name is Elias. I'm the bassist, play a bunch of synths and sing as well. My name is Tillman, I play the drums, I sing a little bit, and I have a sampler as well. Have you ever uh, accidentally or intentionally smuggled drugs across an international border? I don't think so. (laughs) Maybe we have. (laughs) Accidentally, maybe. So we cross borders a lot, so it was interesting to have that kind of story and have that kind of experiences we have with crossing international borders. in particular crossing the borders into the US, which is always a little uh, uh, nervous for us. Yeah. Um, we always try to make sure that there's nothing in the car, nothing on us, we double check. The first time you came over, was it was there an element of fear? We had this one uh, experience. So we th- initially thought it would be all right if we uh, uh, wouldn't get paid at all. So. Uh, we thought it's not only South by Southwest, we could like enter the country to play shows where we wouldn't get paid um, at any point of time. So we were about to go on a little trip to New York City from Montreal, just to play two shows over the weekend. And um, we wanted to cross the border and had like an invitation letter from the promoter but um yeah we got stopped we got pulled over um had to go like inside the building had to show all the documents which was kind of like the standard thing we had to do every time when crossing a border Mm -hmm. but then they asked us if we could show the email conversation with the promoter yeah. and then the whole thing started so i brought brought in my laptop and showed the whole conversation and um yeah in the end it was like a 5 hour interrogation they wow. they took us like in different single interrogation rooms asked us questions to see if our uh, stories would like match. Jesus. They what? took like mug shots of each of us and it was just, I felt like, okay, I'm like going to prison. When it was my turn, they told me, uh, your friend already told us everything. I was like, uh, what's like, that supposed to mean? Yeah, and I was like just was sitting across these two officers and they actually started reading my emails to me. And I was like, oh, what's happening now? Yeah, they hacked into our email accounts and like read our emails to us from their screen, from their computer. And it was like, okay, 
what what the hell is going on over here i'm like it felt like i would be in my whole human being illegal in that moment you know yeah. it wasn't like okay you're going uh going to new york city to play a show and that might be not by the rules because uh your uh your visa is only valid for a south by show especially it was like you as a whole human being you're illegal right now (laughs) we'll do everything to get you behind bars isn't it crazy that you can feel that feeling when in your heart you know that you're not doing anything wrong you're playing music that's all you're doing is playing music yet you're you're sitting there in an interrogation room like you're some kind of criminal Yeah. yeah they make you feel like a criminal which is so absurd and was the very yeah. first time that we weren't welcome to enter a country, which was a very new experience because carrying a German passport is pretty good like all over the world, I yeah. guess. And not being able to cross a border into a country and someone telling you, you're not allowed, your visa is getting canceled, we're going to send you back. We're freaking scared. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So when you came in to, re- to work on this song, y'all had a kind of clear idea about what you wanted to do for the chorus and uh i was there with you and i didn't really fully understand what your idea was until like seven or eight hours later so i'm wondering if you can just describe the chorus of the song Mm. because it had like these very specific elements and you knew it sort of before you even started writing the song so like for someone who doesn't uh, who has only heard your song this one time can you like describe the chorus because there's only one lyric what's the lyric the lyric is hash hash <laughs> and this one really stood out to us because this person we don't really know his name do we no which is so funny so he told the whole story which I think is great and he told it in a really nice way he told his story in his uh, storytelling voice but there's this one very special moment which he imitates the machine going ah, ah, hash hash and all the security people at the airport they start screaming so that one really stood out to all the three of us and we like listening uh, to the story not together and we talked about it later and we're like yo that's crazy we need to use that for the song because it just stands out that sound of the machine going ah, ah, and everybody screaming hash hash so all of us had the same idea. We need to use that. Yeah. I really I really love that. I love it because it actually sounds like a Timbaland, Missy Elliott kind of hook. Yeah. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like you made it really rhythmic. And I remember in the studio for a second, you were talking about taking his actual voice from the confession and using that. But instead you used a synthesizer. Yeah. But so you have the alarm noise and then hash, hash which was the security or the border patrol or airport security people thought mm. they found hash. Yeah. Yeah. So right before that, he also describes the machine in such a beautiful way saying, and this machine that looks like out of the sixties goes, yank, yank, and everyone is like hash, hash or something like that. And this line just stood out to all of us. That's for sure. Yeah, one thing we um, really enjoyed uh, about watching your your recording process is like this is interesting for us because we give musicians kind of a box to work within. There's certain constructs, there's certain like 
rules to some extent, and you guys kind of took that further and made more rules, which <laughs> was kind of kind of fun when you're sitting in a studio where the you know it's limitless. There's so many options, yeah. and you're like, you know, let's take this box we're in and make it a little smaller, build a few more walls, and you know, using only monophonic and things like that. What, what made you kind of decide to do that with this? So the fact that it was coming, uh, he was traveling to Lebanon and made us digging into Arabic music and started to think about if we should use certain elements. But then we kind of figured out we can't really do it because we don't know shit about yeah. all the scales and stuff. And we didn't want to try it. And it just maybe it's from Morocco or maybe it's from Syria and it's not actually from Lebanon. So. But we read that it's mainly not about using chords and harmonies, it's just about melodies and monophonic stuff. And I guess we like to challenge ourselves. And that's uh, when we thought about, let's just try it, because we usually work a lot with chords and harmonies just to get a, a basis for the song and to get an idea what the a melody for the voice could be like. So that was, I guess, a way to challenge ourselves. So, so what were the limitations you gave yourselves for, for this song, for this recording? We only wanted to use monophonic mm -hmm. um, elements, so no chords. And um, yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's and, actually and pretty I, much. I think you, you did it. There's not one instrument that plays a full chord in the song. Only... Only the there's uh, the voice gets doubled by uh, a female true. voice. That's I think that's the only moment when it gets uh, polyphonic. Polyphonic, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's a fun it's a fun challenge, and it it seems like mm. it went well. <laughs> <laughs> I hope but so. That's kind of um, some something else I, I've noticed. You guys seem to have a lot of knowledge about uh, world sounds and world music in general, and a lot of influence. Um, I have an Afrobeat background. I hear a lot of that yeah. Afrobeat, you know, kind of thing in your music as well. I'm curious uh, how that developed. Uh, do you, is there like a specific moment where you remember saying, "This is the sound we want," or "This is who we are"? Or where do you know where that came from? So, my mom would always play like African drums and stuff in like weird hippie drum circles you know like that sort of things and i was always when i was younger i would like jump in i don't know grabbing percussion instruments mm -hmm. like uh just vibing with it but then later when i grew a little older i would kind of like walk away from it because it's this weird like german parents meet up every three weeks to have like this drum circle and it feels so weird <laughs> and it doesn't feel real um but then later when i was like getting more into electronic music and um i don't know my my taste would just spread out and i started djing as well then i started to dig in um to african sounds again and like initially really through like compilations on soundway records and stuff like that which is which has gotten quite popular by now and then from there my inter interest in african music just grew 
And I think then I influenced David a little bit by showing him stuff and being like, yo, you gotta listen to that. That's insane. Do you, can you hear this like rhythm section, how they flow and stuff? But to be honest, at first I was totally confused. I was like, what is that, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the time we were like listening to Nicolas Jar and, you know, like he's probably influenced by a lot of like middle american and like south american uh music but it's very synth heavy mm -hmm. and then um just digging into that like real and honest world of uh yeah groove and feel of african music just opened up a lot for us i guess like all of us and then from that point it just spreads out it mm -hmm. feels like mm -hmm. if you if you dig into african music you'll find it all over the place oh like, yeah everything uh, everywhere and that's just like a source okay so the, the other thing i noticed about you guys that, that i really liked is uh you made a playlist of of like inspiration songs for this recording and you just pointed to elias was that your idea Yeah. Do you normally do that when you work on music? Like, are really clear about what's inspiring you, or, or is that just for this? Actually, I love to do playlists for inspirational use. You know, like stuff that I would get inspired by, just for only one element, maybe even. But then putting things together in an own song it can just draw from whole different places like having uh i don't know susanne chiani like a uh, synth modular jam in an in a playlist next to like a techno track and that one is next to like a thai psychedelic mm -hmm. song and then you kind of like grab some elements from that and that and that and put it all together, mix it up and see what the risotto uh, sounds like. <laughs> Good enough. Well, and, and the thing that I noticed, well, you can't also, you can't control what the other musicians are going to take from the inspiration. But the thing I noticed was you, you, had, a ver you had a very specific song that you were thinking about the groove and then just watching the three of you play in the room it it changed like i was able to watch the groove change from hey we're gonna kind of try to rip off this one thing mm -hmm. into the thing it was and it's just very um very honest like a, a lot of um bands they're really touchy and sensitive about what inspires them or our comparisons but you guys were like the exact opposite it was like no we're gonna rip off these seven things on this song <laughs> which was interesting it made me wonder when you when you work on music are are y'all constantly talking about other songs or is it more just unconscious flow i don't know and not constantly but for me it helps a lot during the recording process to sometimes get an idea what you want it to sound like or just to be influenced by a Uh, vocal melody, maybe to get a new idea what that guy or that woman is doing in that song and maybe to push yourself a little bit to find a new way how to do it 
and also not only on the production side but also from the vibe and the mood a song can uh, deliver so for me uh, music from africa uh, has a strong part in how they actually approach playing music because it always seems so light and just ah oh, you know whatever i'm just gonna play that guitar now even if it's out of tune or something like that but it still sounds good in the end mm-hmm. and i learned a lot from that that it's not only about perfect playing your instrument or having the right thing at the right moment it's also about the way you feel while recording it i yeah that inspires me a lot One thing that has just not gotten enough attention in this confession and in our interview, but is worth pointing out now, is that our confessor went to Lebanon on someone else's dime. Like, someone else paid for this guy to go to Lebanon and record a record. Why is it that you think that, like, the 10 to 15 musicians who've heard this confession and worked on this song, none of us remarked on that? It, it's an amazingly overlooked detail because uh, I want that gig. Yeah, it <laughs> like, sounds great to me. Why weren't we paying attention to that part? Who is this guy? And, you know, smuggling hash aside, can we come record in Beirut? Maybe it's because we're all a bunch of bottom feeders who are constantly seeking out uh, large sums of money from different sorts of people just to sort of make our art. Yeah, art art's weird. You, you're like almost working with the mob half the time. It's just like shady people giving you money that call themselves patrons. Yeah, I mean, one example that this brings to mind for me is in Austin, uh, an artist, uh, a, a singer-songwriter, all I'll say is that he has beautiful red hair. That's all I'll say. It's not me. Yeah, I was about to say. No, 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 not me. talking about yourself. No, I'm not talking about me. It's not that red, for the record. Walker's hair is strawberry. Thank you. It's not me. Another redheaded lad. He had a patron uh, who was a rich real estate guy in town. Oh, my favorite kind. And this guy offered some serious money to him. And in the course of six weeks, he had handed over like almost a hundred thousand dollars to these musicians and was trying to control everything from like how they dress to what they sound like to where they play. And yeah, I mean, I, I know other stories like this, but yeah, that's the thing. It always feels great because there's some guys like, Oh, here's all this money. You could record, you could tour, you could buy new gear. Mm -hmm. But then there's always the the weird stipulations start coming. It's like, Oh, well I'm pretty sure I own you. So you're going to do it my way. And I know nothing about music or the entertainment industry at all. Yeah, exactly. And the, uh, the other part of the confession that's interesting is that they didn't really record. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) They just smoked a bunch of hash and then he almost got him killed. It's amazing. Which is also such a rich guy move. It's like, oh yeah, this is super illegal, but we don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't matter what country you're in. That's a rich guy move. Yeah. The other thing that we like haven't really talked about, but it's totally worth talking about is doing drugs and making music. (laughs) We've talked about that on other episodes. Yeah, but it is cool. Hash Hash was written and performed by C. Moya. C. Moya is Elias Forster, David Schnitzler, 
and Bruce Tillman. Sorry, I don't speak German. That was a fucking admirable effort at pronouncing those German names. The Song Confessional podcast is produced by me, Walker Lukens, Zach Catanzaro, Aaron Blackerby, Michael Lee, Rylan Kettery, and Jim Eno. It is distributed by KUTX. The Song Confessional theme song was written by me, Walker Lukens. It was performed by me, Zach, James Wesley Essery, and Sam Pankey. It was produced by Jim Eno. As always, if you like this podcast, the absolute best thing you can do for us is to tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell your mother, tell your father, tell anybody. Thank you so much, KUTX, for distributing this podcast. And thank you to Elizabeth McQueen for all your help along the way. Thanks again to Simoya. <laughs>